is Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bang! Oh! will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Troy. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Dime Dropper. For today's special episode, we are going to talk Euro 2020. We are at the semifinal stage and making an appearance all the way from, where are you right now? London, right now. From London. In the big we, smoke, baby. <laughs> we have my college roommate from UMass and a friend for life. Super Jack Painter making his debut appearance on Dime Dropper. Welcome to the show, my guy. Hey man, it's been too long. I'm 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 honored to be finally invited onto this illustrious uh, this illustrious podcast of yours you've got going on. Yeah, just getting just get taking the the conversations from the dorm from Chadbourne to the microphone. Oh, absolutely, mate. Some still some of the some of the best memories of my life that year in America. Honestly, that 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 shitty little. Prison bedroom that we had, honestly, wouldn't change it. For the, wouldn't change it. Me neither. Definitely one of the best years of my life as well. And then obviously came over to your side of the pond, 2019, and we went to the game, yeah. Man City Liverpool together. That was unforgettable. I tell my subscribers, they ask me what's the best game I've been to. I always say, well, now it would also be Clippers Jazz Game Six, but I was like, that one was right there with anyone because. The passion yeah. that you guys have over there is it puts us to shame, to be honest. I mean, like uh, at the time when you came over, I'm not a season ticket holder anymore because I unfortunately had to move down south for work and stuff like that. But um, obviously, at the time, as you know, I was a season ticket holder at Man City and I, I used to go to games, obviously, well, every home game. And I'd been going regularly even before that when I was in school. And you got so jammy with the with the tickets coming out at that time, and that you happened to be coming to that game because that was that's the best game I've been to live at, at the Etihad. And um, unfortunately, I didn't go to the game, the Aguero game, when when uh, we did that against QPR because obviously that would have been top. Yeah. But um, until very 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 recently, that Man City versus Liverpool game was the best football match I've been to live. It was recently usurped by um england versus germany but we'll we'll come to that in a little bit <laughs> yeah i mean I, the fact that you've been to so many games and i was able to catch the game that you said was the best you've ever been to that's just incredible luck on my part and that's the game that really turned the the title race around and yeah and not just i mean it just had everything because the atmosphere like the etihad as as lots of people who like watch football will know the Etihad gets rinsed quite a lot for not having a good atmosphere or being like the empty had this that, and the other which there's some truth in that I'll hold my hands up but um you came at a time when it was absolutely electric like it was a night match which is always better that it was absolutely buzzing but also the um the that was one of the highest quality football matches you could watch probably probably in the last decade in the Premier League that was the two best teams in the country by uh, by some distance absolutely slogging it out some players at the top of their game players like Leroy Sane who can just you know light up any sort of game unfortunately he's not quite doing it at the moment but at Man City he was a different animal and um yeah it was it was ridiculous wasn't it and I, I had no voice at the end of that match I'll tell you 
that, that honestly, they may have been the best two teams in in the world that year because that was the year that it really should have been City and Liverpool in the Champions League final too. But that Spurs, uh, the tie against Spurs was tough, and oh, Liverpool man. went on to win. Yeah, but, that was. Uh, uh, I was actually watching that game against Spurs. I was in Dubai at the time. My girlfriend lives in Dubai. Zoe Cooper, we'll give her a shout out. Daria knows her. Um, And um, she she lives over there. So the time difference, it was about three hours ahead. So by the time that game was on, it was like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock or whatever. And her family had all gone to bed and I was trying to be really quiet. And Sterling scored that last minute. Well, what I thought was a last minute winner to send us through. I, on mute, stood up and ran around her downstairs house like, top off all this sort of stuff everything <laughs> i came back and she's mouthing to me like it was offside it's rolled out <laughs> i was like oh no it can't be man honestly but yeah. no that was a tough one definitely but that was a very high quality a qu- high quality match especially for me i had come from watching two nil nils one was chelsea southampton the other one was crystal palace and uh and uh Cardiff so to go to that to go to that game it was like just levels above I was just so shocked at the quality of the players but also you know I went to a when I went to Chelsea you know that sometimes people say similar things about Stamford Bridge I mean I don't know you could probably know better than me relative to the Etihad atmosphere but people Mm -hmm. say that sometimes Stamford Bridge can be a library I've seen but I don't know just I guess my standard for atmosphere is so low as an American especially as a LA as an Angelino that like, at least, at the very least, maybe and not everybody's making noise over there, but everybody's focused on the match. Everybody's in mm-hmm. their seats by kickoff. Everybody is hanging on every kick of the ball. And I don't know. It's just, it's just a different level of, of love and knowledge of the game to me in terms of all the people at the crowd. I think, the, um, I think being honest, the, um, the narrative that teams like Chelsea and City have, like, a worse atmosphere, in the, the same with any story, there's a sprinkling of truth in there. But... It's really a bit of a media spin because a lot of the media are a favour, sort of Man United and Liverpool. <laughs> but uh, but it's but the truth of the matter is that any big six team has a well, what we would consider a bad atmosphere when they're playing teams that either a are not in the big six themselves or b it's not a Champions League match because the, it's just the expectancy is there. Like a lot of games, like if if you if you're a Man United fan and you go watch Man United versus Norwich, three p.m. kickoff on a Saturday, you're just expecting a three four nil walk in the park, like that's it, and you sit there and you win. And it's the same for it's the same for any big six team, really. Um, and it's that's that's the way it was at Man City when I used to go. Like uh, it used to be like sometimes you could hear a pin drop if we were playing someone like Bournemouth and it was nil nil like the thirtieth minute. Stadium would be silent because you say everyone's just focusing on the game having a chill time but um yeah the, the, it comes alive when it's the when 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 shit gets real and they're playing you're playing someone big or something like that then that's when it gets loud but equally when you went to go see um crystal palace versus cardiff those are the sort of games where the atmosphere is probably gonna be electric like all the time I and mean, crystal palace in general have a great atmosphere at their stadium but when like lower league teams that's a lot of man city fans weirdly pine for the days when we were shit because the like the atmosphere every game was mint um mm-hmm. it was less uh commercialized you'd say as well and like and when when every game is a scrap it means that it means that every game is like exciting as well and so you have quite a few of the older generation who like like pine after that me personally i mean i would rather watch 
Lionel Messi tear it up at the Etihad than watch like Darren Huckabee or some other no, like nonsense footballer from like the late nineties play, you know. But yeah, that's the way it is. So let's segue over to the Euros now. I wanted to ask, so you guys finished. Also, so I wanted to actually ask just a general question. You guys, as England supporters or English people, are so passionate about your clubs. Is it easy to come together as, as, a, as a whole country for the national team, even with all the strong rivalries? So it never used to be, I would say. We, this, this England team is far and away not the most talented England team that I've seen in my lifetime in terms of on paper. You just have to look at the, our teams at Euro 2004, particularly the World Cup 2006, where... Every man 1-11 to 11 is a Champions League winner, and not just a Champions League winner. We're talking, you know, Paul Scholes, we're talking Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, Ballon, Ballon d'Or winning Michael Owen, a centre-half pairing of John Terry and Rio Ferdinand with Ashley Cole and Gary Neville either side. That's, that's a cheat code. That's, if, if, if you, and I think it was Wayne Rooney that said, if, they had a, if you had a Guardiola with that team, we'd have won it all, you know? And if you had a manager who wasn't playing Paul Scholes on the left wing of a 4-4-2, then, you know, who knows? But at that time, the players didn't care. The rivalry, like I say, the club rivalry was too great. There's been reports now, like, people like Rio Ferdinand have been very open and honest on the TV and said that the United and Liverpool players didn't talk to each other when they came into camp. They sat separately and everything like that. Lampard said that too. I wanted to ask, who's the manager in 06 Uh, again? uh, Sven Goran Eriksson, I believe. Okay, because I remember when it was Capello in 2010. That definitely oh, was a more talented. Those team. were the, the between about between about 2008 and 2016. Those were the dark days of being an England fan. That was it was awful. And back then, if you'd have asked me, like I'd, I'd have told you every day, every day plus Sunday, I'd have rather Man City do something than England. I didn't give a shit about England then, and and everyone felt the same because there was just apathy towards it. But now. Now that we're good again and we're winning and everything like that, it's the complete opposite. Every it's it was the same in 2018 in the World Cup and it's the same now. It's ridiculous here. Everyone is just on a high all the time. I've, it's I, I can't even explain it. Every single pub, every single bar, every single place is just absolutely bu- like jumping 24/7, and everyone loves it. And like and the players are clearly that love it as well. Like they're all like good pals and stuff, and they're all. Um, I read an interesting article today that was saying they represent like a changing, a change in what it means to be English as well. You know, like these are people like Marcus Rashford who spent the last year like um, fighting for free school meals and working super hard, like even in the face of the Tory government to support children. You've got Raheem Sterling who's been given an MBE for his work to counter racism, and um, and you know Harry Kane being quite an exemplary captain as well. And they all come, they all come together. They all represent like the best of what the, of what the younger generations certainly want and i think it's just yeah crazy unifying like you'll be you'll be in the pub and there'll be some an older an older guy who, who maybe in every other walk of life you haven't got any sort of anything idealistically in like in common with but as soon as that england game goes on mate is you, you brother in arms you know what i mean it's uh yeah it's it's class it's been very it's gonna be a good distraction as well from a lot of what's happened i think as well yeah i mean that's amazing i mean i we I can't say that we experienced that here. I really can't. Even during the World Cup, it's definitely not the same level of passion. So one time I got to make, make my way over there uh, for, for some kind of international competition. Well, it's coming to you in, in 2026. Yeah. Is... My parents and I are thinking of going out to, to Qatar next, next year because I was thinking 
Look at Whoa. Iran's home field advantage that we're gonna have over there. Mate, mate, Iran could be serious at that at that um, at that World Cup, you know, because because I mean, there's, there's other factors as well. Like it's it's cliched, but like the heat and the climate and everything like that, it always comes in as a factor in World Cups as well. It's the reason why European teams always struggle when they're in South America as well. Like there is that it is it is a real advantage, and like you say, Iran will be drawing big crowds because they're, because they're nearby and. It would be special, mate, if you could, if you could make your way over. I, I just also think if there's any place to go where it's solely about like the football and the World Cup, it would be it would be Qatar 2022. Yeah, but, it's just yeah. it'd be it'd be. I'm interested to see how it um, how they how they handle it as well because because I mean I don't know. I'll hold my hands and say I don't know too much about um, Qatar and how relaxed they are about things such as like drinking in public or um, or having like, open cans or how they'll react to these sort of things, but. They are England, England fans or Russian fans or Irish fans or a lot of go to a lot of these places. These are not people who are going to be not drinking <laughs> like, yeah, no, in, sure. in public and stuff like that. You know, like there's a it's intrinsically linked. And, and I'll be interested to see a how the crowds work and b it'll be interesting to see how how the season works around that. You know, because yeah, obviously- I was always I was always wondering that how are we what's going to happen to the season if they're doing it in the winter. Who knows? And I mean, this is the thing. You could be, Chelsea could be cruising at the top of the league, doing really well. And then at the World Cup, four or five of your best players get injured because they're playing for their team. It completely disrupts everything. And now the season's changed. And you come I mean, back into this. Our whole team is going to be there, though. They're going to yeah, be that's what I mean. So who are yeah. we going to play? Well, no, but well, there has to be a pause. And then I'd imagine the season would just go on to like June or July or something. Oh, yeah, because then there'll be no, no, uh, no competition in the summer. Yeah. yeah but it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting. I... It, do you know what? A lot of people, a lot of people were very skeptical about, about Russia 2018. Uh, and again, especially with the traveling fans, you know, like the BBC were releasing documentaries sort of scaremongering about the hooliganism in Russia and saying it's not safe for English fans to travel and all this sort of stuff. And there was a lot of negative publicity, but it ended up being a great, like one of what's considered to be one of the best World Cups there's been for a long time in terms of yeah. football and the experience. And like Qatar could pull it off, you know? So I think we've got to go in with an open mind and, and sort of, you know, expect hope for the best really, but it'll be, it'll be good. I, I've got my eyes set on 2026, I'll be 31. Hopefully made a bit of coin by then. I've got my eyes on Mexico because I've never been to Mexico. And I oh, think, really? I think it would be batshit crazy down there. I think if you I love to... Mexico. It, no, yeah. first that World Cup, I mean, it's coming to us. So I'm gonna be at a lot. I'm gonna be at a lot of games and places, but I definitely should yeah. try to make my way down to uh, down to Mexico as well because they have a obviously the if you want the real real passion, mm-hmm. now be Canada or the U.S. It's definitely gonna be them. Oh yeah, man! Like go to I want to go to like the Azteca Stadium. Oh my god, like games at the Azteca! Mexico fans are crazy. I've been to two of their games, international competition. Oh my god, they'll turn on their players so quick. Like <laughs> they, they they have the thing where they can't put uh, for the when the goalie kicks the ball. I remember when they were getting destroyed by Chile in Copa America. They were down six nothing, seven nothing. It was an all Mexico crowd in San Francisco, and they started chanting it against Ochoa after they were oh my down. God. And they started Olaying their own team. And Ochoa's like, he's done so much for them as well. Which for that World Cup when he was going crazy as well. Yeah, I mean, so I wanted to ask you, what's the what was the expectation after making it to the semifinal of the World Cup going into this Euros? Yeah. Um, do you know what? I think it I think it varied depending on who you spoke to. I think um 
I think usually there's quite a um, usually there's like a national mood. I think, and that's and that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons why the 2018 World Cup was so incredible at the time, why everyone was going getting so gassed for it, was because the expectations before that World Cup were so low. It was just sort of like a free hit. You know, we didn't expect anything, and we ended up getting that far. Whereas I think this time. I think there was a range. I think there were some people who thought, oh, we haven't, we're not great on paper. Like the Southgate was coming in for quite a bit of criticism, people thinking he was a bit too negative. And, um, and so, but then you are then other people. Like, like I, I remember me and some of my friends were talking beforehand and we were looking at it and saying, like, we, re- we really should be aiming for the semi finals. Like, pro- probably quarterfinals would probably be the minimum expectation, I think, but we should have really been aspiring for the semi finals with the, with the team that we had. and the quality that we could produce and I mean we've just yeah uh, but I think no one can every every critic's been silenced really the two people who came in for the most criticism before the tournament and even up until, up until and including the Germany game have been Gareth Southgate and Raheem Sterling uh, incessantly and you've got the guy who's the top scorer at the tournament and has been arguably our best player and Similarly to how for the last five years, Man City's most important signing has been Pep Guardiola more than any other player. There's a growing feeling in England that the most important part of England's setup is Gareth Southgate. And, um, and that this, this is a bloke who knows how to get the most out of his players and makes choices that are constantly criticised. He's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. There's, we've got so... Well, this is the... Why, this is the deepest England team I've probably seen ever in terms of the options mm. and so whatever team he picks is going to be the wrong one in someone's point of view and so it's a, it's a lot of pressure for him but he's smashed it every time and I mean especially against Germany against Ukraine he, you can't fault his decisions really and it's just been yeah I think he's, no, no. it's been impressive to see definitely does, does he get criticized because sometimes you guys can play a bit like I don't know I don't want to use the word dead but kind of uh <laughs> You know, very, it's more of an, like, as we saw in the World Cup, a lot of, it's very well organized. You guys, at the World Cup, you played uh, five at the back or three at the back and mm-hmm. then scored off set pieces a lot. It wasn't as uh, beautiful, like nothing like, you know, like your Man City style of play, of course. Yeah, is, that, yeah, yeah. is that the reason why he gets criticized as well? Or Yeah, I think so. I think people, I think, I think people see players like Phil Foden and Jack Grealish being left on the bench and know what they're capable of, and especially for Jack Grealish, who's proved it for his club and country, and is one of the most exciting players in the Premier League right now, really. Mm-hmm. And people get understandably frustrated that they're getting left out because they know what they can bring. But well, I think what you would say with my what what, what my over, one of my overriding feelings with England is that one of the areas that we are weakest at is at the is at the heart of the defence, and our our centre backs are a bit of a problem. Like, like John Stones had a great season alongside Ruben Diaz, who was an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. Harry Maguire is better than a lot of people give him credit for, but is, is not the most mobile centre-back in the world. Yeah. And, and I don't think... I think when you get to the later stages in, in the competition, we don't have a two that we can play in a back four that's strong enough mm-hmm. to be as free-flowing. And I've got a feeling that Gareth Southgate knows that as well. And, that, and he builds his teams to protect that sort of soft core and rely, and relies a lot on the quality that we do have up front because even though he's misfiring, Kane needs one chance and he can score. Sterling is electric. Saka, Sancho, whoever you play alongside them can do it. And forgetting you've got a man like Kyle Walker, a fullback, who can both be a sweeper and an offensive threat in the same game. You've got 
left backs. I think I think whoever's played left backs been really good. I think Trippier did well when he had his chance. I think Shaw's been outstanding in the last couple of games. And I'll hold my hands up because some of my mates will watch this and call me a call me a hypocrite. I criticised Luke Shaw in his first game when he played, but he's come out fighting and been really good recently. So I think I think people did have that feeling. But I think now it gets to a stage when you can't criticise anymore. You know, there's been yeah. too many questions answered, and so everyone's just up for it now. And you haven't conceded one goal one the entire goal. tournament so far. Jordan Pickford, man. Like, I know. And he, he gets a lot of criticism at Everton. So how, how surprised is everybody? Does everybody love him for England? Is that like the... Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. But again, he's another one who probably before the tournament, people were saying, oh, it should be... I mean, I, I, people had their personal favourites. I wanted Nick Pope's playing goal. A lot of people wanted Dean Henderson to come in. And off, the, off club form, you'd have to say it was probably deserved because Jordan Henderson... John Henson, sorry, Jordan Pickford <laughs> has had a lot of high profile, like dodgy blunders. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, for, again, for England, he just raised his game massively. And you have to say, he's done that consistently. He's always played well for England, really. Some, some players just do, I guess, just thrive on it, as I know. Yeah. And I mean, uh, two tournaments in a row, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it, but he's been very, very good in both tournaments. I mean, of course, that, that penalty shootout against Colombia is a, is a big memory yeah. that comes to mind. But, yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no goals conceded. Do you? So I agree with you with the with the thing you said about the back five because yeah, I, I wouldn't trust Stones and Maguire and just a back four unprotected, the same way they are with, with the five. Uh, do you, didn't he start with the with the back four of the first uh, during the group stage and then changed it or or did he start? He did. With, yeah. Yeah, and I, and he and he played with the. If I, I think he played with the four against um, Ukraine as well, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, it was just Germany, I think, where you guys went with the the back five, right? I think yeah, I think that's quite telling in itself. I think his I think his mindset of is right. If if we feel like we 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 will dominate the ball and we can be comfortable mm-hmm. in this game, then he'll go yeah. with the four against a stronger opposite. Like against Italy, if 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 we got to the final and we were playing Italy or Spain, I would fully expect him to play the back five in that final. It'll be interesting to see what he does on Wednesday night because Denmark are a very good team. Yeah. And, but are they good enough for, to warrant... Are they back five worthy? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't know what the line is, but um, my, my personal thinking will be he'll be looking at the semi-final and think, right, in that semi, in that final, I'll be playing five at the back. So maybe I should play five at the back in this semi-final to get us like used to it, know, back used to it. But who knows? What yeah. did you think of? So the first game, Croatia, and then of course you guys played Scotland. So Raheem Sterling, I know you because you're a City supporter, so you've been defending him for a while. I've always been a fan just because I remember the first time I really rooted for England, 2014 World Cup. He was like one of the only players that looked like he was like treating it like a world cup. He was 19. He was running all over the place. Looked really good on the ball. I was like, wow, like he's got a lot of potential and I've been following him ever since. And, you know, he had a period of time where he was really improving each season. And then last season or two, it's kind of been a little bit of a dip for him. So what are your thoughts on him? Just, I guess his form going into this and how he's been the last year or two for city and all the criticism he received in both the world cup and the euros, but he's really finally found his tournament where he's taken off. Well, yeah, because I mean, so I mean, this goes all the way back to the um, the, the 2018 World Cup, and the, the, there was two very different schools of thought on Raheem Sterling, and it both all centered around the same statistic, which is that he scored no goals in that World Cup. And you had the re- people who saw it and said he scored no goals, he's useless. What was he doing? He doesn't bring anything to the team. And there was people who, like me, would say 
his movement off the ball is great. One of the reasons Kane scored as many goals as he did was Raheem Sterling like attacking the box, like making making space, everything like that. And he brings a lot more to the table. But that like divisive, like black or white view of Raheem Sterling just perpetuates constantly. And it, this last season, it was within Man within Man City's own factions because. He had a bit of a torrid time in the in the first half of the season. He, went, he, he played quite poorly, or dipped below his standards. But these are these are the standards that he's set himself over the last like three or four years. Like, he's got the most goals and assists by a long way of any Man City player since Pep Guardiola came in. More than um, De Bruyne, even more than De yeah, Bruyne. Yeah, easily the most by a long way. I think second's Aguero, but um, yeah, Sterling's got the most by quite a long way. And so yeah, he had a dip in form, and and he got sort of. Uh, demoted to the bench as it were and then we kind of went on a mad winning streak and obviously ended up like winning the title and um, and I think people pointed to a lot to him sort of saying that he was like washed or whatever and that like, there was rumours of him being linked with Arsenal which I think was just like disrespectful for like a team who literally just finished in the bottom half being linked with like w- one of our best players on the day one of our best players last five years and that carried over into England like until the Germany game you were constantly still getting people saying like, oh, even though we scored that last game, he was rubbish, like he didn't do anything, it's just tap-ins. But it's always just tap-ins with Raheem Sterling. Eventually, you have to admit, it's not luck anymore. There's obviously something more That's what I used that When I first started getting into, getting into football, that's what I used to say whenever I watched Ronaldo. I was like, he scored all these easy goals. Then I started realizing there was a lot more to it than that. Yeah. So it's the right spot on the right time for a reason. Yeah, and like people... And it's a criticism that's not level. I mean, people talk about Thomas Muller, rightly so, as one of the greatest players of like his sort of generation, one of the greatest German players, World Cup winner. Mm. And look, look at all of his goals. Every single goal he scores is just a tap in at the back he post. He hasn't scored. I don't think he scored a goal in a tournament. I may be wrong on this, but I don't know if he scored a goal in a tournament since Brazil. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. but I know he hasn't scored more than one or two. That's for sure. And this is a guy that... We were talking about he could break Close's record at one point. Yeah, I know, I know, and um, and but don't get me wrong, a great, great footballer, but yeah. it, the same, like, like they they score good goals because they get in the right place at the right time, and movement is a is a massive part of the game. That's why, it's why you look at a player like Edison Cavani, not quite as physically fit as he, as he maybe used to be. Like he's knocking on a bit now; he's thirty three, but yeah, for United, he's lethal because his movement is like. In the Premier League, probably second to none, really, at the moment. He's like he, he has the best movement of any player in the Premier League, I would say, in an attacking sense. Maybe second to Aguero, but obviously Aguero He's hasn't gone. played as much recently and and has unfortunately moved on, which is a yeah. sore sort still a sore subject, but never mind. Yeah, well, not a sore subject because I, I, I you can't be sad, but what a what a hero, what yeah. a what an actor, oh, yeah. you know. Even as a even as a Chelsea Chelsea fan, just being. First of all, I got to see him play live. I got to see him score a goal. But I remember his first game against Swansea. I remember where I watched it. And I remember he scored two goals. And I was like, man, this guy's really good. And then, I don't know, just the memories of watching Aguero. And he's always been the man for the big occasion. Yeah. I think, he's, I think he's, he took up the mantle from all. Henri was, was probably the face of the Premier League for the, first, for the 2000s, for that decade. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that I would argue that Sergio Aguero was that for 2010 to 2020, you know? Like, he, I think he, he was the face of the Premier League, really, for a lot of it. Eden Hazard, for a while, was, um, was, was up there. But I think just for longevity and, and achievements as well, like Aguero, um, yeah, he, he, he was the icon, really. That's the, that's the only word I can use for him. 
And another one of these players I never thought I'd see at my football team playing. So, you know, it's, it's just been. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's a legend right there. But I was going to say, uh, how was the game against Scotland? Like, how was the buzz around, around the country uh, during that? So I had, I mean, yeah, crazy. I was, so I work, um, I work for an organization that like runs the railways in Britain. And um, I, so I was in the office, weirdly enough, on the night before, the day before the game was due to go ahead, I was working outside Euston Station, which is like one of the, it's the main line. It's the station I mean, that the trains. Is, is that where I came to you from? Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. London, yeah, Euston. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're uh, from London to Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, but that, that, sort of that same line goes on further to Glasgow. So we're trying to have this big serious meeting in the afternoon and like the directors sort of kind of stood up giving this like talk or whatever. And all, all outside, all you can hear is just like, oh, Florida, Scotland. <laughs> like these huge crowds everywhere, like people in kilts. And uh, I think it was, it was a big occasion, but I think it was certainly a bigger occasion for Scotland. Not, not, not to diminish them or anything, but purely because they've not been to it. They've not been to a, to a, Tournament. international tournament for what was something like 25 years something like I think that it was, I think it was World Cup 98 they said or oh, 96 maybe Euro yeah 96. 96 yeah so probably 25 years and so not only at the, the first tournament for a long time they're playing like you know the old enemy in the, yeah. in the, in the group stage I think that's why uh, there was a lot of negativity around England after that match because everyone sort of thought oh was it Croatia or Czech Republic we played Croatia we played first everyone was like oh Croatia was a fluke. This shows that we're not all that. Like we're just we're not great. But that was their cup final. Like for Scott, for those Scotland players, that was their their Euro twenty twenty final. That game. It was. It's always going to be more difficult. Look at Barcelona went to Celtic and it either drew or lost. I can't remember. I mean the Scots when they're good, they know how to make an absolute din when they're in a, a stadium and like and they the the players themselves like feel that as well and obviously knew what was at stake. So. They raised their game. They got a, a result, a draw out of it, which was a good result for them in the context to give them a chance of still qualifying for what they needed to do. So, I think now it's a bit of a footnote now, but it showed it was it was a blip on an otherwise pretty perfect record so far. So I was going to ask what. So Harry Kane, you know, he's obviously one of the best strikers in the world and has been for a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, he has done. I mean, I wouldn't say he's. You can challenge me on this if you want i wouldn't say he's the player that wayne rooney was but for you guys in the tournaments i think he has performed better obviously he didn't have a great group stage but if you look at the world cup in 2018 and this one i'm not saying he was perfect but he still managed to get on the score sheet and, and i expected that more from rooney in some of the tournaments when i watched england play so how has he been received you know by the country uh in both the tournaments i should say 2018 uh unanimous praise mm -hmm. i would say um this tournament from myself from myself included some some harsh criticism mm. i mean uh, you saw southgate took sub subbed him in one of the in one of the group games at about 60 minutes and he looked shocked but he needed it he needed a bit of a kick up the bum to be honest because he looked like he wasn't he wasn't fit or he wasn't fully engaged or his, his mind was distracted and there was always talk about like transfer rumors whatever it might have been he wasn't he wasn't at it and even in the first half of the game against germany he was again one of our worst players and and not winning anything in the air, hold up play was non-existent. It just it wasn't it wasn't happening for him. Yeah, he can be very but, um, uninvolved sometimes. Exactly, which is like the opposite of what he, of how he plays for Spurs. Like for Spurs, he's not he's not a typical striker. He's literally everywhere, like linking up the play, like coming deep and stuff. But um, 
Yeah, but then obviously, I mean, he scored the goal in the Germany game, which I think was huge. And then, again, obviously, the, the, the a bit of a dip in quality of opposition, no disrespect to, to Ukraine. So, take with a bit, a bit of a pinch of salt. But, I mean, he looks back to his best, really. And, I mean, that... that that banger that he hit for that, you know, the save that yeah, he made. Yeah, that that's, that's when I knew. I, I remember saying to yeah. my dad after he scored the goal against Germany, I said, you know, that, that could change his confidence and, like, really get him going for the rest of the tournament now. And it looks like that's what's happening. And as opposed to the, Euro, to the um, World Cup where he started to kind of, uh, from my memory, kind of dip a little bit as the tournament went on. Like, I think he had some good chances in that Croatia semifinal and he didn't take them. He's starting to get better as this tournament progresses. So I feel like he could have some big moments in the final oh, two yeah. games. And I think, well, we're going to need him. To, if, 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 if from this point onwards, if we're going to do anything, he's, he has to play at his highest level because we're, we're in the semifinal of an of a yeah. international tournament, you know? It's, yeah. He's, and he is out. Harry Kane is out and out our best player by a very long way. And is one of, probably only Lewandowski at this moment in time is a better striker than him in the world. So What, about, what do you think he, about Benzema lately? He's had a crazy resurgence. He has. He, he, was, he had a very good season for Real Madrid, which obviously petered out a little bit. Like, they didn't win anything. And that oh, yeah, they didn't. Exactly. And that, uh, <laughs> that France performance was, well, ended up being quite embarrassing, really, at the, um, at the, at the Euros. And the aftermath hasn't been, hasn't been pretty either for them. But, I mean, you know, Benzema is a great player. I think he was another one who's been very disrespected throughout his career because he was naturally, he was, he was playing alongside either the greatest or the second greatest footballer of all time, depending on what your attitude is. But of course, you're not going to, you're not going to shine as much in that team, but I think he went underappreciated and he's shown that he is an absolute beast. But um, one team that I was shocked by, I know a team that's quite close to both of our hearts and that we were, we would have both been cheering for is Belgium. I expected a little bit more from them. And I thought they would, having seen Italy's game against Austria, I thought I, I backed Belgium. I thought they were going to win quite comfortably, but Italy have been, a bit of a breath of fresh air, really, under Roberto Mancini. And, I mean, that was a great game and built off some proper old-school solid defending at the back as well. Chiellini and Benucci, mate. I, I, I love yeah. that. I know. I was, I was really disappointed. But I honestly didn't know how to feel about Belgium coming into it because De Bruyne obviously had the orbital fracture in his face. And, I don't know, at, at times this season, he just didn't look the same as I was used to seeing him. And then... Obviously, Eden Hazard has just not been the same since he went to Real Madrid, and that says a lot. I mean, when in the World Cup, going into that, uh, I mean, he didn't have the best season, but he wasn't bad. Like, he had a really – he had there were times where he was carrying us. I just think our 2018 team lacked creativity, and that was one of the – that was like peak Maratta year, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, where he was really bad. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I remember I – I think just our, our – Team started to get a, uh, started to get an idea of our tactics and our five at the back and the Antonio Conte way of playing. But Hazard was still really good going into that World Cup. He was amazing, and then he played amazing in the World Cup. But this this tournament, I don't know. I don't. I'm not the type that's going to say one player is going to change everything. But when it's Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne at their best level, that makes a mm-hmm. world of difference because two you don't have other teams don't have players like that on their team, and I just don't think that they ever really. I think Lukaku was great at this at this Euros, but yeah, you know, Lukaku is a yeah, he's a fabulous footballer, and it was and it's it, it just it makes you baffled a bit the why Man United really let him go as easy as they did. Yeah. Like it just, it just everything before and since, and even particularly during when he was at Man United, like his goal scoring record was so yeah. good, it just seemed like a bizarre decision really to sell him. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it was sad. But like you say, when you've not got Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard, who on their day can talk, could both both have the strongest of cases being top five player in the world, you know, mm-hmm. if when they're at their best, they um, yeah. no question, yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah. And yeah, I would just say honestly, I think the Italians have been the better the better side the whole, for the tournament than than Belgium. Honestly, I think the Italians have been the best side as outside of the Austria game. I would say that they've been the most impressive to me. I just mm-hmm. I didn't expect like I always you know the Italian way is to defend and be organized at the back, but the quality they've shown attacking wise, I've been pretty impressed. I wanted to ask you, so Mancini, how do you feel? That's your guys' uh, that's oh, one of your guys. He is. <laughs> He is an absolute. Well, again, he's a, he's a cult hero at, at City. Obviously, he would be like oversaw. Um, I mean, he's a great manager. This is a guy who won the Premier League with like Julian Lescott and Gareth Barry as regular starters in in that team, and um, and is a, a great manager. I think one. The, I mean, the main reason why he left Man City or was asked to leave wasn't particularly because of any like negative performance. He was a bit too like combative and combustible. I think he caused some ruckus in the in the dressing room really but um similar to Antonio Conte just some very yeah these driven, Italian managers I don't know what it very, is because they're bonkers they're like they're driven and they're, I mean this is the thing you say like the English passion for football is 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 big and obviously it is we love it over here and stuff like that but then you go to places like Italy and Greece and uh and Turkey and, and places like that and it's almost like a whole other notch and like they're obsessed with football and to, to to a fault sometimes and obviously that's why they it like blows up sometimes but yeah no he's doing he's doing a class job and uh he's got them well organized he's a he's a big name to have as Italy coach like yeah. international managers sometimes aren't like yeah. the biggest names but yeah he's um he's doing he's yeah he's doing really well and he's got a lot of good players there like you've got like Immobile who is yeah. who consistently bags like 30 goals a season you've got Lorenzo Insigne, who's been yeah. good for a while and scored a peach in that yeah. in that Belgium game. That was a nice goal. And um yeah, yeah, oh, Ray's a dog as well. And he but he I always feel bad for him because he's had such an injury hit career, but when he's on his game, he's a beast of a central midfielder, like he's a little yeah. terrier. I love him. Yeah, he's he can't play ninety minutes for some reason. I know. And and I mean he's yeah, he's one of the few PSG players I actually really like. Yeah, I really and, like him. I've liked him for a while. And um, yeah, they've no, they've got obviously like I was like I said before, Chiellini and Bonucci. Like these are two like right. warriors, mate. They, 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 they do do anything for a win, sort of guys. Like that's a scary, that's a scary proposition. Even for someone like Romelu Lukaku, that's a scary proposition coming up against those two at centre back because you know you're going to be in for an absolute fight. But, yeah, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think Spain. Uh, it's yeah. Uh, my honest prediction, if you if if you if, if, if you twist my arm and told me to be and told me to be um, realistic, I would exp- I would probably expect Italy to win it, but I, I think it would be an Italy England final. But I but that I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. I think England have got this is going to be our, our best chance to win a major tournament in a very long time, and I think the fact there will be a full Wembley as well, and for the final will be. Because, I mean, I was there when it was half full and it was bloody that, loud, mate. I'll that's what you. I was going to ask next. I think that's a perfect transition into the knockout stage. You were at the game, England-Germany. I need, I, need, I need some details here. Oh, mate, I, was saying, I literally said to everyone since I left, there was just no way we were going to lose that game. Like, I, I, I don't know if you've been to Wembley, if you got, if you got to go out there. And probably a lot of your like, listeners wouldn't know this, but when you get the tube out to Wembley, you get off, you get off the underground station and you come out and 
you're looking down like Wembley Way, which is this big like walkway, and then like at the end of it is a stadium with a big arch and stuff. Mm. And obviously, we've all been through a pandemic, everything. And I, someone I used to go football literally every week, twice a week when I was at Man City, having not been to a live match since yeah March 2020. You walk out and there's just people everywhere. It's so loud, and the the tunes are like it's like deafening outside the stadium. And this is only like half capacity. And this is like two hours before kickoff because obviously with the COVID and everything like that, like they say you need to get there super early. And so we got there and just there's people like, there's, there's a huge crowds of people and there's like blokes like on people's shoulders. People have turned up to this game in full suits and waistcoats just in honour of Gareth Southgate, like on people's shoulders, like no chatting way. and screaming. <laughs> Literally. It's so and funny. It's pissing it down with rain in the middle of June. It was like, it was the most English like possible day ever. And everyone was just, there was no nerves. There was no nothing. It just felt like we just, we, we couldn't lose that, that yeah. game. And, um, and yeah, we went out and it was deafening. I put it this way, that, that lots of the talk in the, in the lead up to the game was that the band were going to be let back in because England matches usually have a band who everyone hates, but they're always there. And they play like their stupid songs on the trumpet and stuff like that. I, you would not have known there was a band there. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have heard anything. And um, I, when the second goal went in, I was I was on the floor because you got like knocked over. There was like mass pileups. I've never experienced that at a football game before. I was literally down in between the seats, like yes, like uh, bodies just everywhere. And and there's there's a really nice clip actually. If you if you find it's worth watching of Harry Kane doing his post match interview afterwards. And um. You know, they just sort of chat next to the pitch and they give them a microphone or whatever. And they're playing like Sweet Caroline, like over over the over the PA. And it's that loud that they like can't do the interview. And Harry Kane just kind of stops mid-sentence and just is like looking around in like awe at like what's going around him. It looks like he's going to cry. I got to like, watch that. What about yeah. with the, with the three lions raining down from the crowd loud? Oh, it was, it was, I can't even explain how loud it was. Like, it was wow, the loudest like, even with, what, You said it was 50% capacity? Yeah, there was, there was only like 40,000 people there. It was, and it was loud, so like loud. Man City, Liverpool level loud? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, comfortably. The scenes, though, on TV, like even my friends were saying, they were like, those England fans at Wembley, <laughs> they were like, they were going nuts. I was like, yeah. I can't believe my friend was even at the game. Like, that yeah. looked Straight. And that's what I was, yeah. And that's what I was saying. That's it, it's just it went to it was the best thing I've I've been to live. Best of best sporting fixture. Just because the atmosphere was like ridiculous. The game was ridiculous. And also it's like, mate, one of the reasons people like Scottish and Welsh fans quite understandably don't like England is because like it'll be Scotland. There'll be a Scotland game on the Euros. It'll be Scotland versus Czech Republic. And at halftime they'll be showing the Gaza goal from from Wembley '96 or whatever. Like all the footage is always just about England. And that got that. If, if if we go on to do good things at this tournament, that game will be one of the ones that's like reeled out every tournament for the next like 20, 30, 40 years or whatever. So to feel like you were a part of that was pretty special. So, yeah, um, I was, I was gonna ask, um, uh, how long did, did you have you ha did you have the ticket for a long time or did you just recently get it? Nope, so I, so I. That game, the last 16 game, I was initially supposed to go. It, it was supposed to be in Dublin initially when the tournament was supposed to go ahead. Okay. And me and a couple of friends just bought tickets to go to this match in Dublin. And when, you, when the tickets came out, obviously, like the qualification hadn't even finished yet or whatever because they sell them like well in advance. And so when it, it turned out that we had tickets for this game that was going to be the winner of what turned out to be England's group versus the runner-up of the group that had France, Germany and Portugal in. 
So we were really excited for it. And then obviously the pandemic hit, so no chance of going to Ireland. Fast forward to this year, um, moving it to Wembley, which was great news for us, but they said um, it was only going to be 50% capacity and you had to like re-go into a ballot, but you'd get preference if you already had tickets. Mm-hmm. So we went. my mate went in for the first one because they were in his name and we didn't get them. And they said it was sold out and we thought, oh, you know, there we go. Like it's always going to be hard and stuff. And I had the days off work and I was actually just expecting to have a bit of a chill time, not really do anything. And um, my mate literally texted me on like Friday night or Saturday night before the game and was like, mate, like, what's your passport details? Send me them now. They've resent a new link. I've got like a, a 10 minute window or whatever. So I was like, oh shit, like got my passport out, sent him it. And he was like, right, done. We've got tickets. We're going on the Tuesday. So wow. I, like, I had like four days of knowing that I was going to it. And uh, yeah, it was... Um, it was unreal. So thanks, Tom, for sorting those out. <laughs> of course, beating Germany, who, you know, I don't remember the last time I could think of you guys beating them. I mean, obviously, I have vivid memories of the 2010 4-1, the famous Lampard. Uh, the, 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 basically, the that was like the last, that was the time where we were really like, we got to have goal line technology. That was the start of all of that. Yeah. Um, well, do you know what? I can, t- I can tell you the last time we beat Germany before that. It was the oh, 1966 World Cup final when we beat them. In a Since tournament, that, that's the last time? So we, played the, so we then played them four times in a row and lost every single time until this time. So th- th- this time last week was the fifth time we played them since 1966 and the first time we beat them. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. no, I feel what you're saying about being at a game where you're just like, we're not going to let them lose type of thing because – that's kind of how I felt for two instances in my life. Game seven against the Spurs for the Clippers. And then the first game of that same series, it was just so loud. I was like, there's just, we, we're not going to let them lose. You know, the, the momentum is going to be too high. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a special feeling when you really feel like you can affect the game when you're there just as a fan, even though like, obviously they have to execute and on the pitch or on the court, wherever they're doing, but yeah, I don't know. There's I, just no. It, it does. It makes a difference whether it's whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey, whether it's um, what I'll what I'll say American football or like or football football or anything like that. It does make a difference. And like I don't know if you remember Thomas Muller when he ran through when he ran through on goal. Literally the yeah. great man Thomas Muller himself. He doesn't miss those. Like yeah. that's that doesn't happen. But when he misses that, it's just so, like I, I think it does have an impact. And especially like I think with basketball as well, like the little things as well. I think it just makes it it makes those free throws a little bit harder for the opposition. It makes um, like executing a game plan that they need to that little bit harder, but and also for the home team, like if you've got, let's say, you know, you've got 10 seconds left in a timeout and you've got to make a play, I, I, whether it's all just superstition, but it just feels like it's what it can happen. Like when, when there's all, when there's all the fans there, you know? So. Definitely. Um, I mean, there was a different pull in the game six, the Clippers won uh, to, make it past the second round this year when we had our first, that was our first game with a full capacity stadium or it's like 90%. It's not fully every seat is taken yet. You know, there's still some mm-hmm. areas being blocked off by like certain things like right behind the bench that people don't sit right now until yeah. I guess the whole COVID thing uh, clears up a little more, but you could just tell the, the difference that we, we didn't really have any pull in the games with half capacity. This one mm-hmm. we did, but so I wanted to also ask, so how are you feeling now? Denmark, semifinals you've been you starting to play your best football in these last two games uh how are you feeling about this that Denmark game and of course do you feel as though now you have to win it because 
two games at Wembley and it's going to be like all you guys. So you, it just doesn't get better than that. Some might say that's like a slightly unfair advantage in your guys' favor. What I would say is there's two sides to every coin and Denmark have their own fairy tale story at this, yeah. at this world cup, at this, this Euro, sorry. Like the, they'll, they'll feel like it's written for them to go on and do it because obviously that would have the tragedy in the first game with Christian Eriksen yeah. and to come back so strongly from that and, get out of the group with those with those two big results and then they've been barnstorming in the in the tournament since then you know they they swept wales aside and were, i thought i thought they were really impressive against czech republic as well and um they'll be they'll be thinking the exact same thing they'll be thinking right we've got like fate on our side like with Chris, everything that happens christian erickson it's, it's written for us to do it mm-hmm. and so there's two narratives that are happening at the same time and um and also, like, moving away from, like, semantics, like, just in, in pure football in terms, like, Denmark are a good team. Mm. Um, I think we're stronger on paper, but they play well. They play well as a, as a unit, and they've got, they've got some good little, uh, good little technicians in there as well and players that can score. So, I think it's, I think it's going to be a really hard game. I'm not expecting anything like 4-0 either way. I think it's going to be... One nil, two one, whichever way it's going to go. Maybe even go the. Di- I I can see it go the distance. To be honest, like in, in, a, in a game like this, um, and if we got to a penalty shootout, mate, I'm, I don't know how I'll handle that. But um, it, um, yeah, I think it's gonna, I think it's going to be tough. I, and I, I'm expecting a really difficult match, to be honest. But I think I think we'll win. I I do. I have to say, my if if my prediction would be probably. Yeah, I'd probably say one 0 England because yeah, I don't think I was going to say that too. Yeah, I don't think we're going to. I don't think we'll concede. I think defensively we've been solid enough, and I think we're only getting better defensively. So I think, and I think it'll be settled. Well, I think it'll be one 0 Raheem Sterling with the winner. Hey, I would love it if it was. Honestly, yeah. I don't care. I don't care how it comes. I don't care if it's if it's a Pierre Emil Hoiberg own goal off the yeah. crossbar VAR review. Don't I don't care. However it happens, yeah. like just get us through so, that final. Okay. Italians and Spain, the other side of the bracket, that's going to be really interesting. Probably the more attractive uh, game for a neutral supporter with those two powerhouses. Mm-hmm. But I, I know the Italians, I remember they knocked out. I was in Italy, actually, the last Euros when Italy knocked Spain out. I have a feeling it's going to happen again. I just think yeah. that they look more impressive. Uh, what, would you take, what would you take on that game, B? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think Italy are going to have too much for them. Uh, it's weird, though, because I've, I've – I've I've kind of not backed Spain very strongly throughout a lot of the tournament. Like they, I, I don't think they look, I don't think they've looked great. Me neither. I, don't I think... haven't either. I've been saying that they're kind of like a little bit of, I don't want to use the word pretenders because they could prove me wrong, but I don't know. That's what I've been saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a team that scored ten goals in two games, so they've obviously got goals in them, but they also yeah. conceded three in that same game, and yeah. and they're leaky at the back, and um, and they've played a lot of football as well. Like they've they've had um, penalty shootout. No, did they have penalty shootout in the last round? They, I believe they did. It was a, it was against they beat Switzerland. Uh, yeah. yeah, Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. So so they had extra time one in, in one game, penalties in the other. Yeah. Whereas Italy, Italy, yeah, have had a little bit more rest, arguably. Although they came for a really tough game against Belgium. So, um, no, I just think I just think in terms of quality, I think they're gonna have too much. I think I think they I think offensively they can both create, but I just think Italy have got such a stronger. Backline that yeah. I'll see them. That I'll see them across. That's yeah, what they say. Mm-hmm. Say that in basketball, don't they? As well, like, uh, offense wins you games, defense wins you championships. So yep, I think that's that's, that's the, it's the same. It's the same in um, 
It's the, it's, the, it's the exact same in football. And uh, you know, to win things, you need to have like, that strong back line. I think that'll prove to be the case, to be honest. So then let's say, if, uh, let's say it's an Italy-England final. Is, at oh. Wembley, is it coming home? Yeah. <laughs> it has to be. I has to. I, I, well, it's, I have to say that. I, I, think, I think, yeah, I, I, you have to, I have to back it. And I think it is. And I think, again, it would be, I, I really think if, if it was England versus Italy, again, on paper, I think it's a really, really close call, really. I think those are two pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we could do it. Again, that's another match. I, if, if I'm being slightly more objective, that's another match where I could, I could see that going all the way to penalties as well, to be honest. Hopefully we don't get a penalty shot in the final. I never like to see them end like that. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's. I think it's really like hard. It's it's one of those things where if you're involved in it, it's horrendous. But to the neutral, like, and yeah. it's morbid curiosity. Whenever I'm a neutral watching the game, you're you're always kind of wishing for more, and you think, all right, I want the extra time, I want the penalties, I want the drama. But no, thank you, not for me. Yeah, <laughs> for England, we can leave that out of it. I reckon. But yeah, I mean. That's all I have for now. You got anything else? I'll be rooting for you guys all the way, of course. You know, obviously, yeah. now Belgium. I think that may be my last time rooting for Belgium because I don't know how Eden Hazard's future is going to go. But, you know, my only country where I have real family at, besides obviously Ron and USA, is, is England. So, Old Blighty, exactly. Coming yeah. home. Oh, mate, I, I have to say, I think it is coming home. The scenes. Say. Imagine the scenes. That I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to. I don't know what's going to happen. It's on a Sunday night as well. I don't know who planned that, but I don't. What like it's going to be? I don't. I don't know how England's going to function if we win. Like I honestly think like businesses will just be shut for like two days because <laughs> people can. People can't go to work. Um, like, don't I take mean, me home. They exactly. <laughs> um, I'll be. People won't be physically able to go to work. I think you'll just you'll be walking around on like Tuesday morning, and there'll still be people just with cans like everywhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, uh, uh, I. I I'm dreaming of that day. But what, what, what I will say is if we do win something like that, it'll be the Zenith. I think, I, think for a lot of, I think for a lot of fans who've seen the light and they'll say that they would... I think most England fans, I would agree that they would rather see that than one of their, than their team do it or would, or would trade the opportunity for their team to win a few more titles for England to just win one, really, because it would yeah. just, like you say, the scenes. That's what it's about, really, at the end of the day. It's not even necessarily about the fact that England have won the Euros, which is quite cool in itself. It's more about the party afterwards, which is what everyone wants, really. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, jealous. I wish I could be there. But, hey, this was, this was great stuff. I really enjoyed it, honestly. Just a different change of pace, talking about something else, uh, something that I'm not as stressed for personally. And yeah, yeah. Definitely won't be the last time, of course. You, get, you brought some good stuff. It's great to have perspective from people from other countries. You know, I always wanted this to be a diverse show. So, Mate, Dime Dropper is going international, mate. Yeah, absolutely. And one day, you know, it's crazy is I can actually like, you know, have you seen I've been doing the vlogs for Clipper games? If I honestly, I, I have the footage from the game at the Etihad. I may just post some of it and make a video out of it. <laughs> yeah, mate, you should give an insight into sort of what it was like and the experience and stuff like that. Yeah, because that was, I mean, if you're going to give it, if you're going to give insights into it, mate, that's as good a game as any, I'll tell you. Honestly. I, get, I got Aguero's goal on video. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, man. Hey, it was it was awesome. I really appreciate you for joining uh joining on. Mate, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I loved it. Uh, look after yourself. Say hi to your family. And uh, yeah, it was yes, great. Sir, time. I will. Cheers. I said, good luck, man. Thank you.